When you come to know the new life that only Christ can give, it changes you. That happened to me in a previous millennium when I was just about to graduate from high school. And I came to church and I began to figure out these people have something that I have never, ever known. The music was so totally different. And they loved it and they sang it from the depth of their souls. And I just knew I need to be plugged into this. Well, it took a while for the plug to work. I was away at college. I didn't have a car that year. The next year toward the end of the summer, I got a car and I was able to come to church more often. And um, the holidays went by and then came the next year. And God brought into my life on the only blind date I ever went on, her. And I was absolutely smitten. She loved the Lord. She'd grown up with Him. She was um, just too good to be true, in my opinion. We were in college then at different colleges. I at an extremely secular school, her at a Christian school, and uh, that was such a sweet fall. We were uh, both realizing this was very, very real, and this was going to be significant, and I gave her the most cockamamie non-proposal proposal you've ever heard. Like, I can't afford a ring, but if I could, I'd give it to you. She fell for it. And then... I had to say goodbye, and she went home to her family 1,500 miles away for the holidays. And that was the first time that, the first year that I ever went to a service like what we had last night. Now, fine, my family had a big tradition for the night before Christmas. We opened our gifts, and we had a, another family that had been friends of our family for years, and it, it was what I had grown up with, and now I was so totally different. I went to that service, and I sang from the bottom of my soul, and I, and I loved it, and I was so in love with this Jesus, and I went out after the service was over. And I got in my car, and I went to start the engine, and Marcia wasn't next to me. She was 1,500 miles away. And I knew that in the next 10 or 15 minutes, I was going to be in a place where I was the only one sober, and that this sweet Christ whose birth we were celebrating wasn't going to be on anybody's mind except mine. And I couldn't turn the key to start the car. I just had to cry a little bit, and then I prayed and got myself steeled for that, and I, and I went into that, that environment, and obviously, I survived, and the Lord put so many wonderful good things into my life. But as we celebrate today the arrival of this Savior, remember how incredible that was. The word that was spoken in that silent night was Jesus. That was the one. 
Last week, we opened up God's Word to the best-known passage on the birth of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Who is that one who was born to a virgin mother? And I told you uh, when we looked at Luke 2 that you would do well to go back and look at Luke 1. So, I don't know if you did, but I did this week. Leading up to the birth of Jesus, I thought I would just share with you a, a few thoughts to help us not only rejoice in the birth of the baby, but to realize the eternal significance of it all and how many countless millions of lives that have been transformed because of what began on earth that night. As we back up to Luke chapter 1, uh, we come to verse 5, and we're told this, and I just want to pluck out a few things from this chapter. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, we could go into all of the stuff of who Zacharias and Elizabeth were, Elizabeth were but I want you to notice this. This happened in a real place, in real time, to real people in the ordinary course of life. Priests served in the temple on a rotating basis. It was the the time for Zacharias to serve. All of their lives were complicated by the reign of a terribly evil local man who fancied himself to be a king. He adopted for himself humbly the title, the king of the Jews. He was a little miffed when those magi showed up and said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? That's another story. Check your email this coming week. Then verse 6, look at this. They were both righteous. That refers back to Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. As bad as the teachings of the Jewish leaders had become by the time Jesus came, we need to understand there were genuine believers in Israel in that time. Not all of them were shepherds. Even in the priesthood, which was so horribly marred by the aristocracy of the Sadducees who had turned it into sort of a quasi-royal religiosity system. And there was the self-righteousness of the Pharisees who believed that they had righteousness in themselves to that God would be pleased to have them with Him. Then we skip down to verse 11 of chapter 1. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is to uh, Zacharias, standing to the right of the altar of incense. So as Zacharias was in the temple, he was doing his duties, and an angel showed up. Again, we're not told which angel it was. Maybe it was Gabriel. We don't know. But that moment broke a 400-year silence of revelation from God. And it happened at precisely the time of His choosing, God's choosing, and exactly as He predicted earlier 
through Daniel and Isaiah especially. We read on down, the angel explained to Zacharias what is going to happen, that he and his wife who had been childless and now they were advanced in age well beyond the time of childbearing years, but they were going to have a son. And you get down to verse 17, it is he, referring of course to John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So not just out of the blue, but exactly on God's timetable, we have this connection that links directly from some of the final words of the Old Testament showing the seamless unity of the Word of God and the inexorable progress of the unfolding of His plan of redemption on earth. There's this uh, guy that has become famous in the last few years for suggesting that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament and stop quoting the Bible. And he's one of those guys we talked about in Jude. He is an infiltrator. He is a misrepresenter of the truth. No, this is all one seamless plan of God. And you get down to verses 24 and 25. Zacharias concluded his time in the temple. Other things took place, and we're told this. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. She felt disgraced because she could not present a child to her husband. Now, that was not a virgin birth, but the arrival of John the Baptist nevertheless was a miracle because as I said, Zacharias and Elizabeth were childless their whole life, and they were well beyond childbearing age. The arrival of John the Baptist was the first huge earthly development in this unveiling of God's plan of redemption since the close of the Old Testament 400 years earlier. And then there is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We skip down to chapter 1, verse 30 in Luke. The angel said to her, this time it is the angel Gabriel, we know that for sure. He said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found <coughs> favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This Jesus, the one whose birth we celebrate traditionally on this day, he didn't come to create a holiday. He was, as the song says, born to die for sinners, and eventually to reign on the throne of David. That's why we look forward to His second coming. My friends, 
That's who we celebrate. He is worthy of our praise. We can shout from the depths of our souls the, the praises of His glory and the, the, the majesty of the humility of His birth, all of that. But as we think about His birth, I want to leave you with some words that made a big impact on me just to see somebody put it all together like this. These words, you might not recognize this, they've been hanging on the wall right back there in the entryway into this room for many years. Who is it we celebrate? Well, here's what it says. We preach Christ, who is the eternal God, one in nature with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit, the triune God. We preach Christ, who is the creator and life giver, as well as the sustainer of the universe and all who live in it. We preach Christ, who is the virgin-born Son of God and Son of Man, fully divine and fully human. We preach Christ, who is the one whose life on earth perfectly pleased God and whose righteousness is given to all who by grace through faith become one with Him. We preach Christ, who is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin that pleases God and whose death under divine judgment plan, judgment pain, paid in full. Let's read it right, Jim. Whose, he's the acceptable sacrifice for sin that pleases God and whose death under divine judgment paid in full the penalty for the sins of His people, providing for them forgiveness and eternal life. We preach Christ who is alive, having been raised from the dead by the Father, validating His work of atonement and providing resurrection for the sanctification of the elect to bring them safely into His heavenly presence. We preach Christ who is at the Father's throne interceding for all believers. We preach Christ who is God's chosen prophet, priest, and king, proclaiming truth, mediating for His church, and reigning over His kingdom forever. We preach Christ, who will return suddenly from heaven to rapture His church, unleash judgment on the wicked, bring promised salvation to the Jews and to the nations, and establish His millennial reign on earth. We preach Christ who will, after that earthly reign, destroy the universe, finally judge all sinners and send them to hell, then create the new heavens and the new earth where He will dwell forever with His saints in glory, love, and joy. This is the Christ we preach. That baby so sweet. What a miracle. Changed the world and has been changing lives ever since. This morning I couldn't help sneak ahead to the end of the book, the book of Revelation. We read verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And 
Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. And the final words of your Bible. Yes, I, I'm sorry, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, how we rejoice at the arrival of Your Son and now standing in Your grace because of His death and burial and resurrection and His offer of the free gift of eternal life. We cry out with the saints of all the centuries, may Your kingdom come. May Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start with us today as we worship You. We are the ones who have come. And so send us from this place that that will be our never-ending refrain of invitation to all the world around us. Come, drink of the living water of eternal life, which we know is in Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.